Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Lust in the captain seat this week, joined by Zach Bryson and newcomer to the podcast, Nate Otto. How about them Gators? Go Gators. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, of course, of course. So uh, we we had planned out an episode, and as the sports law gods would have it, you know, basically an hour before we're about to record, some very big news dropped with Penn, Barstool, ESPN Bet. So we'll get into that. So the, the docket generally for today, we're going to talk about the Penn sale. Uh, it's kind of interesting. We should get into the kind of the weeds of that. Uh, I'm sure Wallach has some thoughts. So next time we have him on, I'm, I'm sure we'll get his thoughts on that. Number two, we're going to talk about this interesting world of conference realignment. I'm not exactly sure where the next uh, level is here, but we'll recap for you that world and just see kind of where things go. We're looking at potential tortious interference with the contract. Um, we'll certainly get into that. Nate has an article up on the site on the new Panini antitrust lawsuit, the Panini trading card. So we'll certainly get into that. And last but not least, the uh, base brawl, Jose Ramirez laying out Tim Anderson. So we'll talk about the history of fights and sports. Criminal charges, all of the above. A reminder, our show is sponsored by Themis Bar Review, the top bar prep company in the galaxy. And also, I don't know if you guys knew this, the top MPRE prep thing ever in the galaxy. Nate, you taking the MPRE tomorrow? Can confirm using uh, Themis to prep for my MPRE and feeling confident. Um, you don't sound too confident. You sound like you're really upset that you have a test tomorrow. Come on, cheer up. You're on the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't super looking forward to it. It's an 8.30 kickoff, but uh, we'll get it done. Um, and Zach, you have the MPRE this week too? Yes. So two days offered. I chose Thursday and it sounds like uh, Nate chose the the Wednesday option. So very much in the throes of those Themis lectures. So for those that don't know, some people, we get we had some pre-law kids. Like I didn't really know what the MPRE was until I was too well. So everybody knows what the bar is. The bar is like, you know. The big bad beast, you got to take the bar in certain states. Some states you can wave in. It's very complicated, but you need to pass the bar. Unless like you're Kim Kardashian. Did Kim Kardashian actually pass the bar? Maybe, she, maybe, maybe bar situation, something weird. So the other part about being a lawyer is being ethical, right? Uh, I recently rewatched uh, The Devil's Advocate. So, you know, Al Pacino, probably not, not the most ethical guy. Uh, Keanu Reeves, probably not. But in theory, in order to be a lawyer, you have to pass the MPRE. That is the ethics exam. Listen, I, I Themis, I'm sure, has much more complicated study guides. My my piece of advice to you, Nate, to you, Zach, when in doubt, you go with the most possible goody two-shoes answers. Like, what is the thing that, like, I won't curse here because Themis is a sponsor, but, like, if you're really trying to, like, kiss up to your bosses, like, what's the most you could do to be super, super safe? Those are the answers on the MPRE. So, you know, that's, that's how to pass the test. When in doubt, do the thing that is most impractical. Um, but that's probably going to be a right answer to the test. Nate, Zach, is that generally good advice? I'm like, you know. I think that's pretty good advice. Whenever they decide to update the, the uh, lectures, make sure uh, Themis gets contacted you to give that, that info to the next group. Yeah. Usually there's an answer that's like, okay, what would the dumbest attorney in the world do? Okay, cross that one out. What's the second dumbest attorney would do? Okay, cross that one out. And then it's like a 50-50 with the last two. So <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. So let's, let's start here. The big announcement in the sports law, sports betting world is Penn gaming Penn national gaming selling their stake in barstool it is such an odd structure of the deal so here are the details as we have it as of we're recording this at 7 p.m on tuesday night so my, from my understanding Penn at one point it's a very complicated deal i guess you need to know this Penn bought about 50 percent of barstool with the ability to buy in all 100 percent, and they bought this right around the beginning of covid so they got a, a good deal and obviously uh gaming has gone up the value of barstool has gone up so Penn 
took their option and decided to buy into all 100% of Barstool. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm not exactly sure what uh, legal status Dave Portnoy had, but he didn't have the company. He did not have control of the company. And that's why you saw my my good pal, Coach Doug's leave, right? Because they have a bottom line. Penn National Gaming has to pay attention to the bottom line. Uh, Mitzi, who I don't really know anything about him other than the fact that he said a bad word, uh, a racial slur on a on a rap video and got fired and and Portnoy didn't want that to happen. So it was very clear that control of the company was no longer with Barstool. So Dave got a little bit of a bad rap that, you know, Barstool sold out quite literally. And I don't really think like that much time has gone by, maybe two months. And we have this news today. Penn is divesting their shares of Barstool, giving it back to Dave Portnoy and in their place, all these different pen and Barstool sports hooks they built around the country, in their place, they're actually going to be replacing them with an entity now called ESPN Bet. So ESPN makes out like bandits here. They're getting over a billion dollars uh, by pen for this branding. So I've said a lot. I have some thoughts on this. Uh, Nate, Zach, whoever wants the floor first for your initial thoughts. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, ESPN is going to get to benefit um, all the brick and mortar that Barstool's kind of put together with Penn. Uh, in conjunction with Penn, as we see different states legalize sports betting and they're building out all these sports books um, and different casinos and different sporting facilities and now getting to rebrand and, and piggyback off of that without having to build anything new and exciting is a, a windfall for ESPN. Yeah, I think ESPN, I mean, I've been following this pretty closely. Disney's in trouble. They're, they're not really sure what to do with ESPN. ESPN is... Uh, I don't want to say hemorrhaging money, but you can see they've had all these layoffs in the last couple of weeks. So they're in need of a cash cow. And what do you know, who comes along Penn National Gaming to infuse a ton of money back into Barstool? So, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but I do remember uh, I'm 35. Nate, how old are you? 31. Zach, how old are you? Oh, I'm just a little baby at 24. You're not 24. You're 24? Uh, yep. Until October of this year, 24. I like how it took you some time to think about how old you were. I mean, that's that's a pretty hard question. They might have asked it on the MPRE. Yeah, that'd definitely be a question I got wrong then. I really had to sit there and think about that. So I, I remember a time where, where talking about betting was taboo. You certainly couldn't do it on ESPN. You had like, uh, you know, uh, Steve Berman kind of give you half bets and say, this team's going to win like five to two. And the joke was that the spread was three and a half. And you could say, you could talk about betting in a very indirect way. And now... Like we're in 2023, obviously ESPN has kind of dove into to betting and they have the daily wager shows and whatnot. But now like they've gone into the deep end. They're going to basically have a version of like the ESPN Sportsbook. So, I mean, I, not, not that it's so surprising. We're obviously trending that way, but we've entered officially a different era. Like, yes, Barstool can talk about betting because that's always been their brand. They've always talked about the stuff that's kind of off the beaten path. Um, they, Barstool's talked about a lot of things that were much more inappropriate, but, you know, they've they've led the way in terms of betting. And now ESPN slots right in here. Now, Zach, Nate, this is the, the most interesting part of the deal as we are seeing this again at seven o'clock on uh, Tuesday night. Accordingly, uh, according to Joe Pompliano, Pompliano, friend of the show, this, and I'm going to quote from his tweet, it's very good. Uh, people, Joe, obviously people know Joe from the Huddle Up newsletter. Joe's, Joe's one, of, uh, one of my favorite. He goes, this section of the press release reads like, Dave Portnoy paid $0 to get Barstool back by agreeing to sign non-competes and give 50% of a future sale. So Penn paid, this is according to Joe, so Penn paid $500 million for Barstool and might give it back for free. So this is from the, the directly from the press release. Penn divests Barstool Sports to founder Dave Portnoy, 
Penn sold 100% of the Barstool Sports Inc. common stock to Dave Portnoy. Okay, so Penn gives 100% back to Portnoy. Okay, so what does Dave Portnoy give back? Does he give back cash? Does he give back $100 million, $500 million? No, think again. In exchange for certain non-compete and other restrictive covenants, Penn also has the right to receive 50% of the gross proceeds received by Dave Portnoy in any subsequent sale or other monetation event at Barstool. So it looks like there's certain non-compete. So they, they're, Penn, I, think, I can imagine, we haven't seen the details here, but Penn is saying that you know uh, Barstool can't turn around and sell itself to another gambling entity and compete with Penn. Okay, that part's obvious. This is the weird part about the deal, that Penn is not seem, seemingly has sold Barstool back for free, but if Portnoy does sell it to anyone else, not necessarily to gambling, just in any other way, shape, or form, Penn all of a sudden comes back and gets 15, 50%, 5 0. So, I mean, that's why people watch Dave Portnoy's press conference. I'm going to put in quotes his fake little press conference. He goes, Barstool will remain in my family forever. It will be passed down to Big Cat. It will be passed down to, to KFC and their kids because economically, they've made it so that this company can never be sold or else 50% goes directly to Penn. I mean, listen, I, I imagine this, this a deal like this has happened in the past. I don't recall it on, on this high profile of a deal happening. Zach, what do you think about this kind of like, it's almost like a poison pill on the back end. Yeah, it definitely seems kind of like a poison pill. But uh, I think that Dave was ultimately okay with, okay with it to get, you know, full ownership of Barstool back. I mean, knowing him and the the kind of antics he's been up to in the past, uh, I don't. I sincerely doubt that he will try to sell it again, just to avoid that poison pill. And ultimately, because Dave Portnoy is who he is, I don't think this really is a detriment to anything that Barstool is going to do. I mean, they just signed this huge, massive deal. They're still going to make money. And I mean, you could have a pretty good argument that Barstool really isn't Barstool without him. So selling it or divesting it in some way probably isn't the best idea. So. It is definitely eyebrow raising to kind of see that, that they just kind of said, you know, pretty much take it back. But in, if you do sell it later, uh, we get it. So they must think that it's likely that they're going to do something down the road. But I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if Dave doesn't. Yeah, it's it's funny. If you if anyone that follows Portnet closely, he talks about, you know, he's he cashed out this, I guess. This is from something for people to watch. And my friends in in, uh, oh, in my gambling chat, my my college friends were all talking about it. It's like. In this last three years, when Penn Pen Gaming has taken over Barstool, like I, I think everyone's making a little bit more money. Like there's bloated salaries to Big Cat, who we love, and KFC, and there's a lot more money here. But the question is, and, and we'll have to see the specifics, and maybe maybe we never will. But is Dave Portnoy paying everyone out of his own pocket? Is that what's happening? Because yes, Penn National Gaming paying everyone's salaries. Like okay, I get it, that makes sense. But I I don't quite understand the specifics of how. Portnoy is going to fund the company. I guess I get it. Portnoy is really rich and he's buying and selling and losing millions of dollars with Davy Day Trader, but I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing how he's going to fund the company. And yes, it's fun to spend like Penn's money and having fun with that, but like now it's your own money. So I don't know. We'll see what this next era of Barstool entails, but it's going to be a very different era. I think uh, Dave was saying it's been over a decade since he's owned the company outright. So we'll see what comes of it. But uh, I guess credit to Dave. He uh, wants to go back to taking care of his baby and you know, for Penn's sake, I, I think, and, and, you know, maybe this is news to some, it was news to some of my friends, like Big Cat got uh, Barstool in trouble in Massachusetts with his kind of, I think he called it the no lose parlay, like it wasn't possible to lose. 
And there's some certain things that you cannot say. Like, you, yes, obviously, Big Cat's it's satire. We all know he's kidding. But like, some people don't know that. And you can get in trouble for that. So ESPN's a much safer brand. It's Disney. They don't say anything like that. If you have get even the slightest tinge of political, you know, they'll kick you off the air, right? Like, you know, so... Um, I think the ESPN partnership makes a lot of sense and especially on, and everything going on with Disney and ESPN, I, I think it makes a ton of sense, but um, I guess we'll see. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how this, uh, again, how important is going to fund this endeavor, but I guess it is what it is. Zach, Nate, anything else to add on this one before we move on? No. Okay. Now, what was about to be the biggest story in sports? And uh, I guess, you know, a little bit of follow the money, right? We follow the sports betting money and that's how we can kind of unwind this weird ESPN barstool pen type deal. It's the money. That's where the gambling money is over in the world of college football. The money, the TV money is causing all sorts of problems. Zach, what is the latest on the world of conference realignment? Well, yeah, I mean, it is driven by college football, but doesn't just mean college football the way that, uh, that it's all set up. Several years ago, we were with the big six conferences. Then we were with the big five for a long time. And now we're down to the big four. So over uh, pretty much a, uh, 36-hour, 48-hour span of time, the Big 12 and the Big 10 pretty much gutted the Pac-12. And it's all just a, a move for money. Yes, driven by football revenues, but they're all just chasing money that is finite in that space and trying to get the most for those TV contracts. And it will be really interesting to kind of see how this continues to go. I've got some some personal thoughts on on the way this whole realignment, quote unquote, ends up really ending at the at the end. But it's, it's going to be a continued thoughts? thing. Are these thoughts personal thoughts that you don't want to share on the podcast? Are they are they inappropriate thoughts? No, they're not inappropriate thoughts. It's more like uh, it's it's not good if you're the NCAA. You know, with all of this realignment and moving around, just shuffling really to try and chase those those advertising and TV dollars. It's not that hard to think that it's going to get to a point where you've got a conference that's so powerful in in football that demands so much money and revenue for TV that they just say, ah, no more, no more so NCAA. You you said a couple of things in the in the imagery that comes to mind. It's almost like a game of musical chairs. Like when the music stops playing, where are you going to be at the particular table? So I think you said uh, Zach like the shuffle. And that's kind of what happened, right? There was some Colorado bolted and, and just people doing their their recap of the shuffling. Colorado, uh, you, I'm probably going to miss one of these. I believe it's Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. I'm missing the fourth one. Utah. Went Utah went to the Big 12. So eight, four schools go over there. And then uh, obviously UC, USC, UCLA, the first two that dominated fell last year. And then Washington and Oregon. So the schools that are remaining with like without a home right now are Cal Berkeley, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. And as I was thinking about it, isn't it kind of messed up that Oregon and Washington left Oregon State and Washington State? Like, okay, like the redheaded stepchild, they just left them back. Like, that's not, it's not very nice. Okay, so you know, Nate, we're we're I, I'm hoping you have some thoughts on this here. It's like we're following the money, right? We're following where the TV money is gonna go. And and there's a question about revenue sharing, people are making more money. How how if at all do you think this impacts? college athletes in this kind of crazy world of NIL that we're in. Yeah. And I think uh, it's important to remember that the PAC 12 media rights deal uh, is expiring at the end of this 2023, 2024 season. So if it's all gone at the end of the season, there's nothing that they have to restructure uh, or come up with um, some sort of end game for, but as these guys fracture uh, across the football landscape and make these super conferences, 
Uh, I know one of the sticking points and we're talking NIL um, and if Johnson versus NCAA works out eventual uh, employment status and employee status for some of these athletes, what that looks like is less fractured uh, means a little bit easier road toward unionization. There's always that idea of dual employers or joint employers with the NCAA um, and conferences so that they can bring in some of those private universities uh, and private education centers into the fold in terms of uh, federal law. But with this less fractured football landscape, there's a, a bit more uniform application of unionization if it comes to that. Yeah, I think the unionization question is a big one. I mean, I, I was listening ESPN Daily. Uh, I try to listen every morning. They had a good good segment today. So it's like, okay, who's, who's left in the dust? So Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State. So those four schools. Now, where are they going to go? In theory, people are saying maybe there's more spots in the SEC. Maybe the ACC is going to open up some spots. Maybe the big, this is going to sound confusing. The Big Ten right now is at uh, <laughs> is at 18 schools. And maybe they go to like the Big 20. Maybe they could do that. Now, short of that happening, those schools are going to have to go to a non-Power 5 conference. So like ge- geographically, the Mountain West Conference is sitting here. And, and generally, I think the understanding is that these power five schools in the big 10 are, are making about $30 million a year because of these television deals. Now, maybe it doesn't sound like that big of a deal that Stanford and Cal and Washington state and Oregon state that they'll go and play in mountain West, but they're going to be getting fractions of, of the money that's on the table um, to play football. So what, what I think we've seen, and this is a little, you know, a little bit of follow the money. And I, I don't like to phrase it like this, but it, unfortunately I, I just think it's kind of fact at this point these are not institutions. These are basically football programs that like happen to have academics there. And there's certainly a world where Stanford has to now cancel like its other sports programs because they're not getting that 30 million. I think it's right around 30 million dollars, 20, 20, 30 million in that range. So football is king and football is not just king because like we all like football. Football is king because it funds the rest of the athletic department. So, you know, Nate, Zach, you guys are both in, uh, you know, in the Southeast. Uh, Zach, you're more of like, are you an ACC guy? Are you a Tar Heels guy? Can't can't say I'm a Tar Heels guy. I'm a Wake Forest guy, but still ACC. Oh, did I just say something slanderous? I'm sorry. <laughs> just just a little bit. As long as you didn't say Duke, we're okay. Um, Duke's also in North Carolina. Uh, it is also North Carolina, but I would much rather be associated with uh, with Chapel Hill than than those uh, those guys over at Duke. So I guess the question is, and we're trying to we're trying to pick out a legal topic here. We. I'm not quite sure how it works out, but the Pac-12, this is going to be their last, seemingly their last year of existence. We talked about this maybe a year or two ago. The Big 12 was raided uh, and a number of their schools were were taken, Texas, Oklahoma, no one knows what's going to happen. And what does the Big 12 do? They load back up on teams. They pulled Cincinnati. They they pull, you know, they they retooled. Maybe people said like, well, you're like diluting your, your you know, the, the, the talent in the conference. But guess what? Like they had some kind of juice to spare at the end of the day. So it's funny. I think there was a point where Pac-12 and the Big 12 were thinking of merging. And that was a time where the Pac-12 had the leverage. And then like Pac-12 was kind of delaying and delaying and, and trying to finalize their television deal. And guess what happened? All these other schools, right? Those eight schools we just talked about, they followed the money and they left the conference. They did not want to be there left holding the bag. So, you know, I don't know if it's like necessarily the most legal thing but like everyone everyone's always concerned like oh tortious interference with the contract and oh they're gonna sue us and and this and that like nate i know you're a florida guy like florida state is out here basically saying and i imagine neither of you are florida state guys but like florida state's like you better pay us 
or we're going to leave the ACC now. So it's like, yes, there are all these legal hurdles put in place that lawyers are, are paid tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to draft these complex contracts and complex exit fees. But like, if a, if a school just wants to leave, like maybe they'll, maybe they'll pay up. Like, I don't, I don't see any legal roadblocks to these schools leaving. Nate, what's, what's the word over in Florida? Is it getting dicey? Are you worried about Florida state joining SEC country? I stay as far away as Tallahassee as I can, but it does sound like Clemson and Florida state uh, are kind of waving their fists uh, at the ACC saying, show us the money. Um, but when you're talking about geographics, the four or five schools that are left out in the PAC 12, if they decide to join the ACC, Traveling doesn't seem to be a big deal anymore. Geographic location doesn't seem to be a big deal anymore for these schools when they're pulling in 30, 40. I think SEC is closer to 70 million a year on their media rights deals. They don't care about travel. And so, and, and USC and UCLA go into the Big Ten, kind of blew that whole thing up uh, in terms of, you know, the Midwest. I think with schools like Florida State and Clemson demanding the money and saying, we should be owed X dollars uh, if you're not going to let us move until those media rights are up and until they expire. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what kind of an argument they would have uh, against the ACC uh, or anyone else that they want to shake their fist at. Yeah, they might not have an argument, but it's, it's a scary thought for all of these conferences and it's going to be weighing on all their minds. And if Florida State and Clemson are, are angry with the ACC and thinking about leaving, uh, you know, it's... Like I said earlier, it's not hard to imagine just a huge one gigantic conference of all the big power schools drawing at all the money. And then all these other schools either can't compete or, you know, spelling the end ultimately for the NCAA. So it's going to be a, a very interesting next couple of years kind of set up by the Pac-12 kind of essentially dissolving. Speaking about power and money, I want to get into the latest lawsuit between Fanatics and Panini. Before we do that, a little bit of business. Our podcast sponsored by Better Edge, the social betting platform. Use our promo code CONDUCT for $20 free on sign-up. You could bet against uh, myself. You could bet against Nate. You could bet against Zach. You could bet against your peers because you don't get a bet against the house over on Better Edge. You bet against the fish. Um, maybe you can win some money over there. It's a social betting platform, and uh, we love our guys over there. And uh, yeah, use our promo code CONDUCT. Again, the best way to support the show. Okay. So Nate, you wrote an article for conductdetrimental.com. It is up there now. It is the story of the Fanatics Panini lawsuit. Now, uh, Panini sounds delicious. It is a trading card company. It is not just a fancy type of bread. Nate, I want you to lay it out in as simple terms as, as Michael Scott once said, explain it to us uh, like we are five years old. What is going on with Fanatics Panini and why should sports fans care about it? To start out, I guess we got to go back um, to talk about the birth of Fanatics trading cards. Uh, now it's called Fanatics Collectibles, but this is in 2021, so they haven't been around for very long. In the end of 2021, they reach out to the MLB and the MLBPA, and they tear those rights away from Tops that Tops had had exclusive licensing rights to the MLB and the MLBPA for the creation of sports cards for the past seven years. So that number is important because we're going to get back to uh, uh, timing later. But then fast forward five months to January 2022, Tops sees the writing on the walls um, and they cede to Fanatics and Fanatics in a $500 million deal uh, ends up buying Tops. So the and the reason for that is once they um, pulled those licensing rights away from Tops at the end of 2021, they still were in Tops possession until 2023 and 2026, respectively, for the PA and the league. 
But to get to that point faster, that's why Fanatics decided to go out and, and buy Topped outright. So fast forward again uh, until um, August of 2021, Fanatics does the same thing to Panini, reaching out to the NFLPA, the NFL, the MBPA, and the NBA, four leagues and, and players associations licensing rights that Panini has had exclusive rights to uh, for the past 14 and 15 years, respectively. Panini uh, likely anticipating a similar fate to Topps. Um, it comes out in the recent Fanatics countersuit that we'll get to that there were talks between Panini uh, and Fanatics back in 2021 when this first happened. They wanted to sell themselves to Fanatics. There was some tortious interference, cl interference claims um, saying that Panini was operating in bad faith, producing wrong and, and incorrect and maybe inflated numbers in terms of their valuation to try to drive that valuation up uh, for their uh, inevitable sale to Fanatics. When that sort of fell through, we come to the August 3rd lawsuit uh, filed by Panini America, which is uh, an Italian-owned company. That's why it sounds like a delicious treat because it's Italian and they do that over there. And it is delicious. I think, Pete, uh, Nate, I think we should talk about Panini for a second in this regard. Like, Panini, maybe people don't know, like when I grew up, there was Tops and there was Upper Deck, but Panini is very much in that same conversation. So Fanatics is on a, in a buying spree and they're buying up everything. And, and the reason I wanted to talk about this here, it's like conference realignment. We're talking about kind of a collection of powers and, you know, the SEC and Big Ten are getting more powerful, right? Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about Penn National Gaming and people are kind of consolidating and building up power. So Fanatics kind of has this weird little empire it's building. And the question is whether that empire that Fanatics is building is lawful under antitrust law. So Nate, you know, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to predict the winner here, but the question is like, as a consumer of like collectibles and cards, is it good or bad for Fanatics to have this much control over the market? We're not saying that they have the, the requisite level of antitrust, but is it good for one of these entities to have all the licenses with the leagues? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I did mention it in my um, original article saying, surprisingly almost, that a lot of the hobby uh, and the folks in the sports card hobby have welcomed Fanatics takeover with, with open arms. They like the competition. Now, it gets to the point where Fanatics can just tell everybody exactly what to do and when to do it, which they sort of are starting to do with some local card shops uh, and even some streaming platforms. Over MLB's All-Star Weekend, Fanatics actually launched its Fanatics Live a live streaming platform, again, to add to sort of that conglomerate monopolistic conduct that Panini has been accusing them of. So now they have production, they have licensing to over 90% of the uh, major sports leagues in the United States. Uh, and now they have the distribution platform to get those into the hands of collectors uh, and, and investors. Zach, have you been following us? I'm not sure if you're a big card guy. Yeah, I've been definitely following this. And kind of to answer that same sort of question there, Dan, one part that I found really interesting is with the money that Phonetic Collectibles has raised, I think it's $10.4 billion that they've raised total just for the collectible side. The NBA, MLB, as well as some of their players unions have equity stakes in the company, uh, which is the part that I found kind of problematic whenever I was reading it is because, you know, what Panini's alleging is that they weren't even given the opportunity to bid and that, that Phonetics was just given the, the contract without really giving them the opportunity to try to, to bid to it. And if you've got investment into that same company, that one and the one that was won apparently without the opportunity for counter bids, I find that a little bit, a little bit problematic uh, and questionable, and gives a little bit more to what Panini's saying. So while while we can't say who's going to win, I do say that that's kind of a little bit of a 
of a of a red flag when you're looking into something that's kind of antitrust and and not not okay by the by the laws of the U.S. I mean, oh, go ahead, Nate. And if people are looking for more, just to kind of sink your teeth into it, Nate has Nate has his great article up now, so you can certainly check it out. ConicDetrimental.com. Nate, go ahead. Yeah, and, and uh, talking about the uh, equity stake that they're giving some of these players and the player associations, Fanatics is actually actually championing that and saying that this is a good thing. We're 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 uh, moving the industry forward. We're giving equity stake to players, equity stake to players associations and leagues uh, to further brands' strength and also put more money in the hands of the players um, that we're putting on these, you know, three by five playing cards. So it's interesting that we bring it up as, as a negative and saying that fanatics is using this sort of coercively, almost, I don't put words in your mouth, Zach, but it sounds like you're saying they, they almost use it coercively in terms of getting that new uh, exclusive rights deal out from underneath Panini. Uh, and then fanatics comes out in their countersuit on the seventh, kind of waving the flag saying, look what we're doing for players and players associations. So it's interesting. I see the other side of that. Yeah, it's definitely definitely interesting. And of course, that Fanatics is being the one that's the beneficiary here is going to try to frame this in a in a positive light. And it very well may be. But if I'm someone on the Panini team and I know that, you know, these players unions and leagues have an equity stake in the company that won the bid whenever I wasn't allowed to even counter bid. I'm going to be I'm going to be upset and that's going to seem a little bit shady to me. So while it does depend on which kind of lens you're looking through and it will be kind of interesting, very interesting to see how it develops and which one is the more accepted view, but I think it's a very interesting point of contention that will definitely be fought over and discussed and debated a lot throughout this litigation that's going to occur. So certainly we'll follow it. I mean, it's one of these cases, we don't really talk about the collectible world that much on the podcast, but to the extent that, you know, people are pouring thousands, again, I say thousands, thousands some people do hundreds of thousands to these cards. By the way, I gave, Zach, I gave you this uh, this recommendation a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember what the recommendation was? Do you know where I'm going with this? Oh, it was, a, it was the, yeah, that, that, that show on Netflix, the collectibles. King of the show collectibles. on Netflix. Did you watch it, Nate? Have the you seen Golden it? Touch. I watched it, yeah. Zach didn't remember the name of the show. He definitely has not seen it. Zach, I don't just give these <laughs> recommendations for no reason. That's a great show. You know, it is a great show and it's definitely... Um, You're watching like below deck and like horrendous shows at least. Oh, there. no, no, no. <laughs> well, see, this this past week I was watching Lincoln Lawyer, which we were talking about the NPRE earlier. And there's lots of, lots of, in the second season, lots of little things where I was like, you know, I was just going over the, the rules. I don't know if that's okay or not. So I, I, I was doing watch. some studying with my shows. I can't watch lawyer shows like I was telling somebody. So I've never seen suits. I mean, I've seen like bits and pieces of suits. So I guess suits just whether I don't might have just gone on Netflix or Netflix is just like very desperate for me to watch suits. It keeps popping up. So like the scene from suits that they think is going to attract us to watch the show. It's like the main guy and he's in a job interview with the other guy. And he's like, you didn't go to law school. What makes you think I'm going to give you a job? And he's like, open up your bar exam book and read me anything. And I'll tell you what the answer is. And I'm like, just because you can read the bar exam book does not give you any experience to be a lawyer. And I'm like, this is what these geniuses at Suits thought was like a good example. Like, And somehow the Netflix algorithm thought that this example was going to be like a good uh, you know, excerpt from the show. I'm like, never watching Suits. This show sucks. The only law shows I watch are... Uh, I dabble in Law and Order, but I like my movies. Uh, my cousin Vinny, Devil's Advocate. I watched it again. I watched it recently. Devil's Advocate's a very good movie. Have you guys, you guys mess around with Devil's Advocate? I'm an admitted suits guy. So what they really oh, needed to, to hook you in, what they needed more Harvey closing deals. That's what they needed. 
I saw you getting quiet there, <laughs> Nate. I, I'm not, I don't support this. I don't support suits at all. Okay, fine. I forgive you. I forgive you. It is what it is. Okay. Speaking of uh, things I want to do to Nate right now, getting punched, getting punched. <laughs> totally kidding. Nate, you're a big dude. I feel like you might be the, our, 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 our biggest guest on the show. Like, I feel like you could beat beat someone up. I'm honored. I've heard some you guys talk about heights very often. There's some folks running around here that are six five and six six. I I don't stand quite that tall, so I'll defer to them as being the biggest guys. Are you Nate? Are you a vet? Is the scattering report true? Are you a vet? It's true. Yes, uh, I was a Naval Academy grad and had the opportunity to play football there, so I can hold my own. But I'm I'm definitely no six six. So Mike uh, Lawson, who you're, you're referencing, I I met Mike during COVID. It was like, you know, we started talking around like, I don't know, May of 2020. And we had a lot of Zooms just like this. And he was our producer on the show. And Mike, Mike's a host on the NIL Hour show. And, you know, uh, I'm working now in Long Island. Mike, you know, he was driving. He had a court appearance down here. We like met up. We wanted to get coffee. And I've talked to Mike just like I'm talking to you guys on Zoom for years. And Mike is, must just be like a very well-proportioned person. Mike was like a legitimate six foot five, six, six. And I'm like, did not expect that. He's like a behemoth. And then like Conlon's also a behemoth. So we have some tall, we have some tall people. And then people think because I'm talking about height so much that I must be very short. And then like once I get like I, I did this recently and uh Stephanie and I were on a Zoom, we were doing some business for conduct. And I'm like, you know, all these people are so tall. Like I'm a normal sized person. And I'm like, by me saying that I'm a normal sized person, you guys probably think I'm like three foot five, but I'm not. I'm very normal. You guys haven't met me in person, but like very normal. And that doesn't mean I'm short. I'm like, you know, 5'10", 5'11". Nate, what are you, like six? You're six six feet on the nose? 6'2 on a good day. But oh, I'll my tell you God. What. You're a monster. <laughs> you put on a pair of dress shoes and do your hair, you're an easy six foot. And Zach, what are you, like 7'5"? Come on. Just, just no, be- no. I, I'm, I'm about I'm about 5'11". And Dan, I have met you in person. You're you're just a little bit shorter than me, but definitely not three feet. What? I'm I, Did I say I was 5'10"? No, I'm 5'11". My hair is oh, very okay. big. People get mis- People think I'm six feet because my my hair, like you guys can't tell. If you can tell on social, my hair gives me about an inch here. Uh, you know. Anyway, anyway, I digress. I digress. Um, Nate, I'm sorry to be talking about hair after you had your uh your your head shaved. Was that like was that northwestern hazing going on? No northwestern hazing. This was uh, uh self inflicted. Just a little summer cut down here in Central Florida. Um. Okay. We're not going to call out the uh, crazy cult person that told you to do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hunter Bedard. That's who it was. Hunter Bedard. Uh, no, we love Hunter. Hunter. Hunter's Hunter's done, right? Hunter's graduated. He's gone. Hunter's done. Yep. And is Alyssa Rodriguez done? They're both gone. She's done. She's actually oh. up in your neck of the woods now. Passing of the torch. Where Where is she? She's in New York City. Yep. Um, listen, all all of you guys are growing up so fast. I remember when you were one L, Nate. Zach, I remember meeting you as a one L. Because we're all getting old now, so um, it's all good. The future future is bright in sports law. I got before my ADD kicked in, we were going to talk about Jose uh, Ramirez. So the base brawl, um, I watched this clip. It was so crazy. So it's, a, you know, kind of your standard play, kind of hard, hard slide, hard tag, what's going to happen. So I just watched it. Somebody tagged me in it fairly quickly. And I saw the scuffle. I saw Jose Ramirez like kind of swinging wildly. And all of a sudden I saw Tim Anderson collapse. And I'm like, did I miss him connect? Like what just happened? And uh, well, Hopefully this is, the, listen, as we know in defamation, the truth is an absolute defense. I'm not sure he connected that well, but Tim Anderson just like, just collapsed, just folded. We have a glass jaw situation here. Is that, is that, is that what happened? Zach, you're, you're shaking your head. You Tim Anderson guy? I, I'm, you know, on neither side particularly, but looking at the clips and the different angles of it that have come out since then, 
it looks like he connects pretty, pretty solidly with the side of his jaw. I mean, and then sends him to the ground and he's not just laying there on the ground. He looks a little dazed and confused. He's, he's not, not feeling too hot after that hit. I imagine not. So Nate, I know we were talking offline. There are, there are certainly shades of a prior uh, incident in baseball, um, which is the one that comes to mind. There's, there's probably one or two here. Yeah. I think right when I saw it, first thing I thought of was the Odor Batista uh, running. It was a high slide into second base. Um, Odor's playing second. He took, um, he didn't like how Batista tried to break up the double play, gives him a shove, cocks back and lands a right, straight right under Batista's jaw and knocked off his glasses, knocked off his helmet. But to Batista's credit, uh, he didn't lose his footing like Anderson did. So he still, he, he, still no, some pride. Somebody, he still has some pride at the end of the day. I think um, if memory serves, oh, this might be, if I if I nail this, I think a, a Ramos Ramirez was like holding him, holding him up. It was there was somebody on the other team, somebody on the Rangers that was holding him. Oh no, it was, I think it was Adrian Beltre. I think that's who it was. That mm-hmm. sounds that sounds better. Another another power hitting third baseman, but but yeah. So the reason we wanted to bring it up, we're not just talking about people punching each other. Uh, in a previous uh, iteration of Sports All Lost, I would do a lot of assault posts, and then someone told me, uh, Dan, why are you promoting assault against and, and violence against other people? And I'm like can I have anything fun? But yes, we can have some fun uh, on the podcast here. So in our, in our history of sports, certain, certain incidents come up that resulted in, in uh, like criminal charges. So we think about the malice at the palace. The one that people talk about a lot is this Todd Bertuzzi incident in hockey when a, 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 a stick was swung at another player's head. Certain incidents that are not part of the game, right? Two players in hockey punching each other and throwing their gloves down, like that's part of the game. Uh, a, a hard slide at second, like, yeah, it's, that's probably part of the game. Now, it's when you swing a hockey stick at someone's head having nothing to do with the puck, not really part of the game. Well, we're talking about swinging hockey sticks. You have to think about swinging football helmets. And Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph run in several years ago. And I think Garrett got an indefinite suspension, ended up being just six games. But six NFL games mean a lot more than six NBA or, uh, um, excuse me, um, MLB games, no doubt. There, there was certainly a world. I, I remember that. And, and we we had the podcast back then. So I remember covering it very closely. It was like, if you swing your, your hel- a helmet at someone's bare head, it, you're basically using it as a, um, maybe people will call me soft for calling it a deadly weapon, but like uh, definitely hurts a lot. Um, side note, we did not plan on this. Did anybody see the riverboat brawl? Did you guys see that video? I did not. Neither I, of you I, saw the riverboat brawl? I I did, Dan. I saw the riverboat brawl. I did see that that incredible piece of cinema. There's a guy who's swimming through the water. So there's, I, listen, I, I've seen a lot of fights. I've seen a lot of fight videos. Um, the algorithm knows that I'm, I'm into the fight videos. I can't post assault anymore, but like, you know, good fight video is pretty good. I've never seen one like this. There's a fight that's occurring on land with a river boat that's kind of like offshore and it's kind of making its way back to shore. So someone is really inclined to want to get back in this fight. They jump off the boat, swim to shore and then they throw hands. There's a rock bottom involved here. There are chair shots involved. I have not not quite seen a brawl like this. But that's that's kind of your consenting to combat. If you guys watch this video, and, and I've literally never seen a brawl like this. Now, going back to our baseball, right? A hard slide into second base. I mean, that's pretty standard, right? People throwing fists, pretty standard. I don't think it's anything that crazy. Now, I, I mentioned one that we didn't really get into. The mouse at the palace is not that normal, right? That's Fan, players fighting fans throwing going in the stands and punching people those were suspensions um you know for like half a season and those were maybe suspensions that no one really got over for their career but i don't know tim anderson getting knocked out not a good look but like throwing his hands up does anybody nate zach do you have the numbers on the suspensions here what were the final numbers here the final adjudications 
yeah, even being the one that got laid out and, and being on the losing end of a, a lucky overhand right, uh, Tim Anderson ended up with six-game suspension, uh, and Ramirez ended up with only three-game suspension. So kind of a double whammy for Mr. Anderson. Yeah, you get knocked out and you get double the, the punishment. But to be fair, he did throw up his hands first. That's what we call, gentlemen, the assumption of the risk. That's what happens. Okay. Uh, Zach, anything here to add on this topic? There, there was an interesting comment or thought that I had whenever we were talking about, you know, this this fight in baseball. And then, you know, there's there's fights in lots of other sports. But whenever we think about the big, big fights and big, big brawls and sporting events, a lot of our minds tend to go to baseball, which I think is interesting given, you know, hockey has rules that allow for, for brawls or that fights happen in other sports. But for some reason, it's always the ones that pop in your mind, like the – 2002 2003 Yankees and Red Sox I mean that's that's what people think of when they think of a of a sports fight and I don't know what it is about baseball and fighting that makes it you know it's America's pastime so maybe it's America's fights but I I thought it was kind of interesting that we were talking about so many fights that occurred in baseball that we uh that we could remember and think about and that were big enough to leave impressions on us and then uh you, you know talked about other sports as well but it was definitely interesting that baseball was the one that produced the most memorable ones for really all three of us. Yeah. I mean, baseball, I mean, I honestly, like when I grew up, there was a video game called MLB Slugfest, which was like, uh, Oh, Zach, you know what MLB Slugfest is? Yeah. I'm, I'm like 80, I'm like 70 or 80 on the inside, Dan. I, mean, I definitely know what Slugfest is. Interesting. I'm 10 years older than you. So you must have gotten like a retro version of the game. Um, <laughs> but there was the NFL blitz. There was a lot of fighting games. It was like, mm -hmm. uh, back in the day, there was, um, this might be a little bit nerdy, but there was something called like mutant league hockey. And there was a lot of violence in sports. And I'm like, you know, I'm a big UFC guy. I'm a big sports guy. I'm like, oh, I'm certainly okay with it. And it's pretty good. I mean, I, I, I think everyone's talking about baseball. Like, I don't know, other than like Shohei Otani potential trade rumors, like this has been the biggest story in the last month, two months. And it's like one punch, one time, like why, why can't there be fighting in baseball? Like there's fighting in hockey. Like why can't, why can't we have fighting in baseball? I think everyone understands it's part of the game. Uh, Nate, you're smiling. I feel like I feel like you would do well if fighting was in baseball. I feel like people would be scared of you. Oh, I don't know. I think uh, we talk about using sticks and using helmets. Um, don't we don't talk bad. about you can using the ball. Using the ball. I, I was looking at the bad boys of baseball because I was thinking, man, who's like the tough guy in baseball now? And I guess it's Jose Ramirez because he's the only one that's knocking people out. But I think back to Nolan Ryan, and I was looking at stats, and he actually has a stat line of of a batter's plunk at home plate. And I think about the you know, Robin Ventura rushing uh, the mound against the 46-year-old Nolan Ryan and Nolan Ryan giving him the business. I think, did Nolan Ryan stay in the game after that? I think that's the legend. He stayed in the game. I watched stayed in the documentary. Game. There's a documentary, I think it's called Becoming Nolan or something like that. It's on, it's on Netflix. But the crazy story is that Nolan Ryan somehow did not get thrown out after that. Like, that's amazing, right? Like, let this guy pitch in. Mm -hmm. I think he's got blood on his uniform. There's another, but uh, yeah, I love it. Up buttoned up his jersey, went unpunished. No suspension for that one. I think he landed five or six nice noogie headshots. So. Yeah, I was going to say, they're noogies. I don't know if they're really punches, but <laughs> um, all good. So let, let's end here. We do this. We try to do this. I'll, I I have one. Maybe, gentlemen, you can think of one uh, in the background. I'm going to I'm gonna buy you some time here. What to watch for? We try to give us a, a show recommendation. Uh, generally, sports doesn't have to be. Late last night, I was up. I had my, my alarm set. Johnny Manziel, the untold story of uh i think it's i don't know if it's called becoming johnny but this is johnny menzel story there are some nuggets there and i followed that story very closely and that was like in my height of uh being obsessed with the nfl draft 
there are some really cool elements uh, of, of that story. And it's not all like fun and games. Johnny Menzel as an NFL drafted player and then the first round to the Cleveland Browns was dealing with some mental health demons, dealing with some demons at Texas A&M. Um, so it really gives you some good insight uh, into what is, you know, Johnny Menzel, I promise he's not going to listen to this, but like the anatomy of a bus, like what really goes into it? Sometimes it's just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, the wrong system. But Johnny Menzel seemed destined, uh, and, you know, not not to do well. So, yeah, I mean, there's a huge there's a 50 percent bust rate of all quarterbacks in the first round. I think it's a little more than that. And, you know, if you're doing your homework, it's just kind of a telltale sign. So I don't know. I think Johnny Menzel is kind of a one of one, uh, but I highly, highly recommend that. That was uh, fantastic. Um, Nate, you look ready to give me your what to watch for. What do you got? Yeah, I think uh, for antitrust suits, this Fanatics and Panini lawsuit likely going to be drawn out for the next 18 months to two years, depending on what replies look like. But I'm going to keep my uh, eyes uh, focused on that. Other than that, uh, NFL preseason starts this week. A lot of uh, fantasy mock drafts being run on a lot of laptops between me and my buddies. Um, So trying to make sure I, I can stay a leg up on them by watching some preseason football. I like it. Zach, what do you got? Send us home, buddy. Yeah, as you know, Dan, I really enjoy Formula One and really enjoyed Drive to Survive whenever that came out. But that documentary has kind of gotten a little bit of criticism for not being like linear or, you know, some people wanted to be a little bit more like hard knocks. And there's a new uh, new kind of, I guess you'd call it a documentary that's being put out by Alpha Tauri, which is one of the Formula One teams themselves supposedly going to cover uh, the 2021 and 2022 seasons in their entirety. Uh, It's going to be put out for free in, uh, I think it's September 6th. And that's going to be really interesting to kind of see a more like start to finish version of what a Formula One season looks like within one team, kind of like that hard knocks kind of look, which will be really interesting for people that are interested in that sport. I like it. I'm going to give you guys my best bet. And I don't normally give betting uh, things on this show, but I got into a fight with my friends this morning in my, my uh, gamblers chat. Um, Nate, Zach, are either of you guys Jets fans? Not a Jets fan. Uh, my double what to watch for is Hard Knocks. Jets, uh, people should be watching Hard Knocks. It's the it's a real sign that football is back. The Jets win total, okay, right now, as we record this. Listen, people can call me out if I'm right, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I might be recommending this bet. Listen, I can't guarantee anything, but I, I have something here. Okay, I'm paying attention. Every time we, we there's a team on Hard Knocks, that line gets juiced up. Episode one, people people start buying into the Detroit Lions. Episode two, more and more in the Lions last year. This time, uh, you know, the story is the New York Jets, Aaron Rodgers, the uh, they're bringing the MVP to town and, and you know, back-to-back MVP not, not so long ago. The Jets right now have a win total at nine and a half. Jets last year won seven games. So Aaron Rodgers, as a near 40-year-old quarterback, is supposed to get three additional wins for the Jets. I'm not sure I see it. Uh, I think the Jets will be better, but three wins is a lot to ask for. And last we checked, Aaron Rodgers had one of his worst seasons ever. Uh, and I think he was statistically a bottom five quarterback. So this is my little best bet, new section I just made up. I'm taking the Jets under. Jets under. But wait, but wait till it hits 10 games. That's what I do think it'll hit. I think it'll hit 10 and you slam that under. Um, Nate, you riding with me? Zach, you going with me? We're going Jets under? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. You guys are so excited. The answer is yes. We're going under Jets. Okay, that'll do it for our conduct detrimental. Uh, remember that I am not a betting expert. I am just a lawyer. I'm just a humble lawyer. So if you get your bet wrong, don't get mad at me. Thank you, Nate. Uh, check out Nate's article on conductdetrimental.com. Zach, as always, excellent for myself, Dan Wallach, all of us here at Conduct Detrimental. We will see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. <laughs>